Welcome to the Get Fit AF with Angie Fraser podcast, a fitness channel with a difference. We aim to challenge traditional views on fitness and what it means to be fit AF. We cover real questions from real people, including my clients and friends, chat with inspiring and passionate people, and maybe the odd rant along the way. Join us to get fit AF without the bullshit. episode is taken from a live Zoom recording I did this week for a nutrition workshop for my clients. The topic was originally how to eat more and train less, but as always, I overestimated the points that I can make in one workshop. I know, I know, I love to talk. But nutrition, whether it's for fat loss or training, for example, is such a broad topic and there are lots of variables. That being said, I do hope you find some useful info in this episode that you can put into practice right away. The philosophy of eat more and train less is really one of the pillars that I coach my clients with because I still see so many women trying to under eat and over exercise, wasting precious time they don't really have and spinning their wheels when it comes to getting the results that they want. The fitness industry has a lot to answer for its contribution to this counterproductive mentality and I'll keep talking about that until more lives are changed. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about in-person and online coaching options, shoot me an email at coach at fitaf.com.au or fill out your details in the link in the show notes and I'll get back to you ASAP. Hey. All right. So can you guys, whoops, see my screen? Can you just pop it in the chat box if you can? Thank you. Um, what I might do is split my screen if I can. Yep. Beautiful. Just so I can see if any chats come up. Yep. I should be able to see them. Beautiful. Just because if you have questions, I want to be able to answer them. And why is that? That is not the right size now. This is just going to keep me on track. There we go. All right. So, so if you're training with me, you will have um, seen a little bit of, you will have seen what the metabolic program is about. And we've just gone through a big strength training block where we were pushing up the amount of work that we were doing every week in terms of barbell lifts. We've built a really good solid foundation of strength. So we want to now up the intensity of our sessions and get a little bit more out of them. I mean, this is how we train anyway. We're just really focusing in, but we're looking at our big compound movements, what we're adding to those. And, and that means your multi-joint movements like your squats, your lunges, uh, your deadlifts, your push and your press. But what we want to do in this metabolic round is add some power to those. So a little bit more explosive power and including with our our accessory work as well. So we're looking at doing lots of slamming, all the stuff that we used to do in MetaPower that we haven't been doing lately. Um, we're looking at adding in those movements just to make the sessions get a little bit more out of those sessions and push your fitness and strength. So by using resistance equipment, when we're doing these more like intense exercises, we're um, promoting more muscle growth than we would be um, if we were just running on a treadmill, for example. And so when we do a lot of um, cardiovascular, like aerobic sort of conditioning, and there's nothing wrong with that, but when we spend a lot of time doing that, we do repetitive movements on the same muscle groups um, for like a long time and we adapt to it really quickly. So we need to do more and more of it to be able to get that effect. But that leads us open to injury and also breakdown of muscle. So in our metabolic program, we're aiming to build muscle, which is so muscle tissue is metabolically active. So it costs a bit more to run than fat tissue, which is storage tissue. So we want to reduce the amount of body fat that we've got and increase muscle mass. And some of that is done via our training. Definitely our 
muscle growth is promoted through the types of training that we do and how much we do. Um, but our fat loss is done in our day-to-day -day activities, um, how we approach them and definitely our eating. So how much we eat, if we eat in a surplus, so more than what we burn, then we gain body fat and that's what people don't want. So it's important to keep in mind um, our nutrition habits. When we're embarking on a training plan where we want to potentially change our body. So anyway, we're aiming to increase our muscle mass so that we can burn more at rest, um, use more energy in general, um, just to get around and do things and store less fat. So less so taking it bringing the time factor into it obviously when you work at intense levels you can't sustain it for a long long time so there's one of my favorite quotes is you can train hard or you can train long you just can't do both so even if you think that you're training hard for long amounts of time really the level of your performance and what you're getting out of that workout has probably decreased so we want to really we want to really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Cram, I guess. Cram in the intensity, uh, all the work into a smaller time block. So focusing on those bigger exercises, those bigger muscle groups, um, those weighted exercises. So we want to condense that down. Condense is probably a better word than cram which allows us time to recover. So if we spend all our time training, 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 um, we are going to just break down eventually because we're not getting adequate recovery between. Now that's really individual for people, but if we can do a really sh uh, a shorter, more effective workout, then we have more time for rest in between, which means we have more time for muscle growth. So part of that recovery process is also nutrition, which is going to be a big part of what we're talking about tonight. So um, I'm going to skip down into the nutrition component. So as I said, it's a key component. You can't just bust yourself with workouts and ignore nutrition, whether your goal is to build muscle, lose fat or both. You just can't get there via training alone. So we want to talk about how you can achieve that. So long story short, with our training sessions split into A, B, and C, now we're going to increase the load on these sessions over the coming six weeks, which is going to promote muscle growth, increase the intensity. But when I'm writing a training plan I'm splitting the work across the plan in general to ensure that you get enough work on those big muscle groups that I mentioned but enough recovery as well so that's we're not going to go right into that but that's why they are written the way they're written and generally written with the hardest exercises first so when you come into your session you can give more to that exercise and then we go down the line to the smaller muscle groups like shoulders abs um, triceps biceps that kind of stuff so we generally start with legs um, hips and back bigger muscle groups bigger movements and our finishes which I've mentioned so coming down to the nutrition components so I want my clients to learn how to stop this cycle that I still see people in all the time where they are trying to eat as little as possible not being able to stick to that and then restarting the process over and over again if they have like a fat loss goal or even if you had a muscle growth goal, <clears throat> you cannot get there by um, restricting and binging and eating the wrong foods, really. So we're going to talk about which foods are going to support your not only your training, but your adherence and changing your body composition. So I want you to stop under eating and over exercising, which I'll talk a bit more about that. But in terms of women who I think, I think maybe everyone on this chat is yes <laughs> just checking so I didn't offend anyone but in terms of women if we habitually under eat and over exercise 
we can um, end up with an energy deficiency that impacts the menstrual cycle. And not only does that impact the menstrual cycle, but once the menstrual cycle doesn't have enough energy to run, then you start taking energy from other parts of your body, such as your, well, you decrease your bone density. So that's a risk of um, osteoarthritis, sorry, osteo, osteopenia earlier in life, uh, later in life, sorry, reverse, um, that maybe I think some people don't take into account when they embark on fitness goals. Now, I don't think any of my clients are at risk of that. There's certainly um, a big risk factor for female athletes and women who train a lot. So we try to structure our programs so there is enough work, but enough rest as well. Uh, I also want you guys to think about selecting nutritious foods that will allow help you to stick to your diet. So dietary adherence. Why is this important? Because the longer that you can adhere to your diet, whether it's for fat loss or muscle growth, the more results, the more likely you are to see those results from it. So that's going back to this whole restrict and binge cycle. If we keep trying to stick to ways that we that are overly restrictive, psychologically taxing, we end up just not being able to adhere to them for long enough for it to take an effect. Look, there are people who can adhere to really awful sort of diet protocols for longer. There may be some psychological factors at play there. It depends on their diet history, their um, body image history, their um, training history, um, their values as well. So it's important not to compare yourself to other people in this regard, especially people that you see online is my point. So my training and diet history, the reason I talk about this stuff so much and the reason that I love strength training is because strength training is just adaptable more so than any other kind of training that I've ever done before. And what I mean by that is you can adjust it according to what's going on with your body, what's going on with your life. Um, you know, it's, and you can get creative with it as well as a trainer and, and the way that you program that. So I used to just spend a lot of time running trying to lose weight, trying to get fitter. And I was just spending more and more time and actually going backwards. So um, most of the time at the moment, you know, we still ebb and flow with how we feel about our body and about um, and even energy levels and that kind of thing. Um, but most of the time now I feel much better than I did then. My body feels generally firmer um, it was much softer and weaker. I couldn't even do a push up in those days. And I used to try to stick to some pretty ugh, yuck sort of diet protocols, thinking that, you know, I must, there must be something wrong with me. I must just need to eat cleaner, um, you know, that kind of thing. And I really lost a lot of enjoyment through that process. So I want to help women avoid that. That's why I'm passionate about this. So my mission is to change the mindset of the women that I work with um, in regards to how they approach their training and their nutrition. So how do you go about this? Look, most of you and most of the clients that I work with do have a fat loss goal, which is why I speak to that most of the time. Um, I mean, there's a lot of talk out there in the uh in the fitness space, the nutrition space, that it's not a good thing to talk about. But I think, you know, we only need to look at statistics to know that as a society, we're carrying more body fat. It is not healthy for us. Despite having all of these, you know, fitness programs, and yes, I'm one of them, and gyms available to us, we are getting less and less in shape. And the reason one of the big reasons for that, in my opinion, is that people are misinformed about what, what is the main driver of fat loss. So we've been told for a long time that it's exercise. If, we, if we're carrying ex, extra body weight, we just need to do more workouts. We need to be more committed. And then we end up frustrated because we haven't actually looked at the things that make the biggest difference. So that's what I'm going to touch on today 
I can't, as I said, I don't want to be sitting here for 90 minutes, which I absolutely can do, as some of you know. So I like to promote for my clients around about a 20% deficit of calories for fat loss. You can go about that via calorie counting or via food selection. So bringing yourself into a calorie deficit via the types of foods that you choose, which is really what I'm going to talk about tonight because it's two-pronged. The foods that I will promote for fat loss are also the foods that I will promote for muscle growth and just general health. So um, the food selection, I mean. Uh, what about maintenance? If you're happy with the weight that you are or you don't really want to lose weight, maintenance is the amount of food that it takes for you to stay the same weight that you are. So that's what we're talking about when we refer to maintenance. So a lot of people will ask me, what's my what's my calorie target for either fat loss or for maintenance? I can estimate it using any number of formulas for you. You can jump, I can do it really quickly. There's long form and short form versions of those formulas that spit out around about the same numbers. You can also, obviously, you've probably done it before. You've probably jumped online and tried to get an estimate. You might've used MyFitnessPal um, they're usually around about ballpark, but the only way you're ever going to know what your calories or food amount is for either maintenance or fat loss is by keeping a record of what you're eating. And if you seriously want to get muscle growth and fat loss from your training, you cannot not track your nutrition. When I say track, I don't mean getting out my fitness pal. Um, because a lot of you have done that for a long time and it can be really handy in the short term. I'm not against using a calorie tracker, um, but I find that some people tend to use them for too long. So if you are actually writing down your food and you plan your food and you know what you have every day and you're losing weight, you know that you're in a deficit. And the only time you're going to play around with that and say this is not a good thing is if your training starts to suffer. So you also need to track your training, which is what we do at the shed. So we're keeping track of the weights that we're lifting. I want to encourage you guys to make notes about how you're feeling on particular during particular sessions. How's not only tracking calories, we are talking about tracking your sleep your stress levels, anything, your how much water you drink, anything that impacts your workout, your training and your weight. So by tracking these things over time, you know I've been doing XYZ habits for four weeks and I've lost two kilos. I'm in a I'm in a deficit. I'm in a calorie deficit. This amount of food is giving me fat loss. So over a period of four weeks, we know that some of that is fat loss, right? Um, when you initially bring yourself, you reduce the amount of food that you eat, however you go about that. The initial weight loss is mostly water weight and gut contents initially, like the first one to two weeks. So it's important, while it can be really motivating on the scales, don't get too far ahead of yourself. The main fat loss starts happening when you've been adhering to your diet for three, four, five, six weeks. So it's not a matter of being good for this day, um, off track the next day. It's, it's a process over time. So you need to be tracking your progress over time, whether you are using the scales as a measure, whether you're using centimetres, clothes, photos I recommend using a mix of all of the above I've kind of jumped ahead a little bit there but my point is you need to track your training you need to track your nutrition I know it sounds tedious and boring but once you make it a habit it's less tedious like it just becomes that habit and you just do it and you get some really useful information as a coach it's really difficult for me to help anybody who won't actually keep track of things and when we try to I'm just going to make a note here about dietary recall when we try to just 
think that we're eating less or think that we're eating enough or think that we're eating enough vegetables or think that we're eating enough protein. Humans notoriously underreport what they eat to themselves, to their calorie app, to their coach. And that is myself included because we are all human. So we cannot rely on ourselves to recall the quality of our diet, the quantity of our diet. So we must actually keep track of it. Um, Hopefully I haven't lost any of you so far. I just cannot stress that enough. So I'm going to move on to macronutrients just really briefly. They don't matter, but they do. So once you're tracking what you're eating on a day-to-day basis for a little while, you can then start to tweak it. And so when we want to build muscle and lose fat, we want to increase, most times we want to increase the amount of lean protein that we're including in our diet. And I'm talking foods is number one priority. The reason for that is that protein supports muscle growth. So it supports that lean tissue growth. It supports a number of other things in your body as well, including your immune system. But it also, in terms of fat loss, eating a little bit more protein or enough protein, which a lot of people don't do, um, a little bit more if you are active. So if you're wanting to train quite intensely like we are, we want to have a little bit more than the average inactive person most of the time. So, But by choosing these foods, we're actually increasing the likelihood that we're going to stick to our diet as well. We feel fuller for longer. There are instances where bodybuilders will need to eat in a surplus. And I'm just using them as an example, because this is quite interesting. And, and I'm talking blokes that can probably eat like, you know, three, four, 5,000 calories a day with the amount of like body mass that they have and the amount of training that they're doing potentially. And they actually struggle to eat that much. And whenever I hear these stories about, oh, boo-hoo, it's so hard to eat that much, I just think, I wish I could eat 4,000 calories a day because I would absolutely smash that. So when they're complaining about having to eat so much, it actually annoys me because women being generally smaller um, mass in mass, we and... Uh, we, we can't, we've also got a lower uh, multiplier for our um, energy expenditure <clears throat> than men for that reason, which means our calorie targets and food targets, I should say, are generally a little bit lower, unfortunately, for those of us that absolutely love eating. So how much protein minimum recommendation is 0.8 grams per kilo of body weight. It's not enough for active people. I like to recommend a little bit more than 1.2, 1.5. But as I said, if you're tracking what you're eating, if you're writing it down, if you're planning it, if you're keeping a record of it, that exact grams per kilo doesn't really matter if you aim to include something like a palm-sized portion of lean protein in each of your main meals. If you're not currently doing that, by doing that, you're going to increase your protein intake. So really bring it back to basics. Um, and that's your chicken, fish, eggs, dairy pro- products like your um, Greek yogurt. Um, what am I missing? Chicken, fish, eggs, like your meat, your lean minces are included. Um, try to get most of your protein intake from whole foods. Why? Because It costs more energy for your body to digest your protein food sources as well. You don't absorb all of the calories from protein, so therefore you don't store them as fat because your body uses them. So it's a good idea across the board. So carbohydrates, how many people have been told to avoid carbohydrates to lose weight? And how long did you stick to it? While carbohydrates are not essential for your body to function like protein and fats are, they do support some intense training. 
So I spoke about this in our last talk, which if you want me to, I can absolutely share the link with you. I don't mind doing that. But I spoke about looking at putting some carbs at before your training so that you use them within your training. So they are a really quick fuel source for the body for intense training. And they also help you to recover because they're muscle protein sparing, meaning that if you've taken in some carbohydrates, then your body's not going to break down your lovely lean muscle tissue when it's doing those intense training sessions. They've got to be pretty intense, okay? So you need to push yourself. No holding back. Go the ugly training like I do. Some of you have seen me do some ugly training lately. It's not pretty, but yeah. It feels all right afterwards. So you need some fuel to support that. And I mean, if you love your carbohydrates, use them for your training. When we say carbohydrates, okay, and we're talking about improving our body composition, again, we want to be looking at whole grains, um, you know, whole food sources. But we're, uh, our Sarah says, it took me ages to drop the guilt around having red frogs. Yes, okay. Yes. So um, I used to, when I was, when I first started training Metapower, which is a metabolic resistance training circuit. So similar to what we're doing, I used to want to inhale a loaf of white bread every time afterwards. And I spoke to the dietitian that I met years ago about it. I said, Oh, look, I don't know if this is in my head, but I seriously have to eat all the carbs after I do a Metapower session. And it's making it really hard for me to stick to my plan and and stick to my calorie intake I'm actually overeating every time I do this session and he said I think you are not giving yourself enough carbohydrates prior to that session and so you're going looking for them after and he was right once I started doing the red frogs and the reason that we're doing like um, lollies even like honey on toast honey in a wrap with a banana um, what else is really good like rice cakes with some jam we want the quick carbohydrate sources. So the ones that are going to get into your system more quickly. What we don't want is them clogged up with too much fiber or dietary fats. So we are going the really simple carbohydrates um, for those training sessions. And that's where we go into the red frogs. And look, I just find, I used to have jelly beans sometimes, but I really like red frogs. And I know, I think four red frogs is however many grams you'll probably know Sarah because I haven't been counting them but it's enough to fuel like a decent session and then you can have your carbs and enjoy them and use them efficiently whereas if you were just having the red frogs and sitting on your butt at your desk all day that's not a good thing you're more likely to store well you're more likely to eat excess calories I do just want to touch on that and say that it's difficult for your body to convert protein and carbohydrates to body fat. So that's another point to make. The process for your body of converting carbohydrates to body fat is much longer than converting dietary fat to body fat. So they're more chemically similar, your dietary fats. Um, so if you are eating more than what you need for the day, your dietary fats are going to get stored as body fat. So that's why we want to keep them quite moderate, but we don't want to avoid them because they're really important for your hormonal health. There is no uh, dietary recommendation for dietary fats. There's no like blanket recommendation like there is for protein. Um, so, but generally, if you're eating a diet that prioritizes protein, um, and then you have your little bit of carbohydrate, whether it's some rice with dinner, some potato with dinner, some pasta with dinner, some noodles with lunch, some cereal in the morning, whatever it is, some bread on a sandwich, um, then your dietary fats will sort themselves out if you're eating within your energy requirements. So that comes back to your tracking like writing things down. How much food am I having? What types of food am I having? So when we're talking about dietary fats, we're talking about our nut butters, our cooking oils and dressings on our salads, our cheeses, um, avocado and nuts and seeds as well. So that's, that's your whole food fat sources. Obviously, when you have if you have a diet that is higher in processed foods, you're going to find that some of those 
foods potentially are going to be higher in dietary fat. So I'm not against eating processed foods. Most processed, most food is processed to some degree. But if you're eating like packet foods, don't feel ashamed about that. But you can actually start to look at the label and go, okay, this is really high in fat. And when you're looking at that label in terms of deciding if it's high in fat, look at the fat per 100 grams. So if it's if it's got like 50% fat, it's probably like a high fat food. Um, and it will be because fats are nine calories per gram and whereas carbs and protein are four. So the higher in um, protein or even carbohydrate that a particular food is, um, it's still going to be a little bit lower in calories than, well, much lower than the same grams of a dietary fat. So you need a little bit less of those be a little bit more moderate, be aware if your goal is not to gain weight. Um, So what does this look like for the average person? Um, Well, I want my clients to not feel like they're on a death sentence with um, their nutrition. So I like to say, okay, 80-20, you still get to include some of the foods that you love, whether they're biscuits, chocolate, whatever, but let's get 80% of your calories from whole foods, which I've just gone through and mentioned a lot of them. Um, And I do have lists for this, so don't stress. Um, So if you're having four meals a day, it does side note, it doesn't matter how often you eat, it needs to work for you, but let's use four as an example. Then three out of those four need to be all whole foods or primarily whole foods if you want to maximize your chances of losing body fat and definitely prioritizing protein. So calorie dense food, I've already touched on a little bit with the dietary fats versus nutrient dense. So calorie dense food is going to be things that are over your sort of three, four calories per gram. So if you're looking at an, an, the label of an item of food, And it's 100 grams, like the serving is 100 grams, for example. And you look at the calorie amount for that and it's 400 grams. That food is calorie dense because it's four calories. Um, Well, let's say five, six is going to be more calorie dense. It's, It's more calories per gram versus nutrient dense. So foods that contain a lot of nutrients. So your whole foods, but particularly plant-based foods because they have our micronutrient intake. They have our fiber. They have our vitamins and minerals, a lot of them. So we want to increase the amount of plant-based food that we're having with each of our main meals for this reason. They're also very low calorie per gram because they contain a lot of water and they, they contain those insoluble fibers as well. So, um, for example, celery is negative calories. Like I don't just expect everyone to go out and eat celery for this reason. I like it. Some people don't like it. doesn't matter. But the point being is that it takes so much energy for your body to break down that it costs more energy to break down. So if you think of foods that are, that are more effort for you to prepare, more effort for you to chew and eat, they take longer to get down than, so a quick rule of fun rule of thumb calorie dense food probably just slides down think i can think of a few that i like cadbury cream egg would be one of them Uh, versus nutrient dense i'm sitting there munching on my chicken celery cucumber i do this that actually is a nice salad by the way i know it probably doesn't sound that appealing and i do a dressing of like um apple cider vinegar and um, Dijon mustard and like a bit of cracked pepper and salt. Um, That takes me longer to eat. So think calorie dense is quick to go down. Nutrient dense takes a bit longer. So if you want to spend more energy eating and digesting your food, what are you going to do? Choose more protein, more plants, more whole foods. That doesn't mean that foods are good and bad. Definitely not in my world. Again, don't want to cause any food issues for anyone. I've had my own in the past and it's not a good place to be. Um, So we do not label foods good and bad, but they have a time and a place. And if your diet does consist of 
more processed or calorie dense food and you're struggling to lose weight or struggling to gain energy, then you, you just want to start tweaking that ratio. And you might say, well, I don't like, you know, protein-based foods or plants. You can start to just introduce small amounts of that food. You will adapt. Your palate does change and it's worth it for your health. It's worth it for your progress. So um, I won't go into a rant about, you know, eating like a grown up and all that kind of thing. Um, we, we all have different food things going on from childhood, um, but we have an opportunity to change that. And you can change that. It just takes practice. Just like your weights training, it takes repetition. So the truth about processed food is, as I've already touched on, it's not bad inverted commas most foods are processed to a degree in some respects you can actually it can be easier to keep track of how much you're eating because the serving size is on the pack um, you know the calorie amount is on the pack it can be a little bit more convenient so definitely don't be like I used to be and take a goddamn salad to a barbecue or something in a container because that's messed up but um, and we've touched on when sugar is a handy tool. So around your training, so those red frogs, those quick sugars in carbohydrates. So it's not bad. It has a time and a place. So diet periodization, I just wanted to touch on. And this is really when we do short periods of being in a calorie deficit. So we may reduce our food intake for fat loss followed by a period of eating a little bit more, maybe to maintenance, just so that you can take a break from that diet. So the way that you can get yourself into a fat loss sprint without having to count your calories is take your food diary that you've been writing down for the last few weeks, look at it, cut out any of the calorie dense food, Not maybe not all of it, depends how you're going to adhere to it. Start to take away things that are not as necessary so if it's not protein and plants sort of thing if it's not whole foods start to deduct it so you can do a period of fat loss and you're going to need to play around with um, how you structure that so that you can actually stick to it for a good two three weeks and get a good amount of fat loss done now, when you do your maintenance phase that is not just okay I'm done with fat loss I'm just going to eat what I want for a week because you will undo the work that you've done. You are still keeping track of what you're eating, but you're now going to maybe reintroduce back in some brown rice with your dinner, even white rice, some sweet potato, a wrap for your lunch, whereas it might have been a, a chicken salad, with, uh, like chicken breast and salad. You may now make that a wrap. So it's just written, you might have a little bit more dietary fat. You might add some cheese back onto that wrap. So that's increasing your food amount for a little while just to reset you physically and psychologically. The only way that it resets you physically is that by getting that little bit extra food, you might start to, your, your workouts, your intense workouts are going to improve. So I advocate for diet periodization with clients who are able to do that. And I do coach my clients on this because it's evidence-based. So we see that people, so if you take two groups of people, this has been done, this is a study that's been done. You've got two groups of people, they're calorie matched for 12-week diets, or it might have been 16 weeks, actually. One group does two weeks of dieting, one week of maintenance. The other group just does a moderate calorie deficit for the whole period of the diet. They're on the same calories. The first group loses more body fat. The only reason that they lose more body fat is because they were able to adhere better to the diet because they got diet breaks. So that's something to think about too. And I can help you with that, guys. If that all sounds too complicated, it's what I do. Um, so keeping it up, it's repetition. I've mentioned this so many times throughout this talk. To get those resort results, you must practice, repeat, repeat, review, adjust, practice. 
And I did already touch on measuring your progress and that was around taking a, a range of measures. So don't just rely on the scales because they will slow down as your fat loss is increasing. So weight loss may be fast initially, but we want fat loss. And over time, that becomes a smaller scale loss. But then your body starts to change shape. Then your measurements start to change. They come down. Your clothes start to fit better. So what to track? I've also touched on that at the start. I jump way ahead all the time. What to track? You want to track um, not only your food logging, but your training, your sleep, your water intake, your stress levels, your mood even, your soreness levels. So if you're getting right into it, training really hard and you're dieting relatively hard as well, you want to keep track of your mood and your soreness levels because I've had it with clients before where they, they just keep complaining of being sore. And I'll say to them, are you having enough protein? And they don't know because they haven't been keeping track of their food, but they go, oh, yeah, I think so. Um, so that's, that's a bit of an indicator. Again, hydration, so water intake, getting enough water. You have water in your muscles, right? If you're dehydrated, your muscles are not going to contract properly. Your workout is going to suffer. So you might come in and do a really intense weight session and you might feel like you're working really hard because you just like your heart rate's shooting up, you're sweating, you're huffing and puffing. But if you're dehydrated, you're not actually getting what you need out of that workout. Your performance is lacking. Your contractions, your muscle contractions are not as good. Um, you're probably not doing as many reps or you might be taking longer rests, that kind of thing. So it's important to track too. Um, and yeah, you need sleep for recovery, 100% overlooked. I know some of you can't get a lot of sleep for reasons that are out of your control, but you know, that that's how it is. That's life. We'll work around it. We try and do what we can. If you're really struggling, speak to me and we'll talk about how we can adjust your training just to make it work and keep you in the game. So when to make changes, you really need to be tracking all of these things for a good three to four weeks before you decide whether you're going to make any changes to things. Um, don't change your plan every week, every two weeks, whether it's your like food sort of thing, um, whether it's your training as well. I see people chop and change their training all the time. I can write them the best plan in the world. And if they don't do it, I can't control the outcome of that. Um, so yeah, if you chop and change, you, you can't collect enough data to know. So it's just like, I use the analogy of people, people love boot camps and circuits, which is fine, whatever. But if your goal is to get stronger, you're not, by coming in and doing a random set of exercises every session that you do or every week, how are you going to know if you, if you stalled your progress, how are you going to know why that was? So it's, yeah, I won't go, I won't go into that. That's why you need to track it. Um, the problem with calorie counting, which I did touch on before so I've just sort of said you don't literally need to count calories or even macros for this stuff you just need to keep track of what and how much you're eating you might write it down plan it out the problem with calorie counting is that it can be really inaccurate it requires a high level of skill to do accurately so people get themselves into this situation where they go I'm eating 1200 calories but I'm not losing weight well, the problem is that you're not actually eating 1,200 calories. You're reporting 1,200 calories, but that's not what's going in, unfortunately. So um, that's where people will tend to get stuck there. So it's important not to rely on that. Um, resources and support. So you've got the Facebook group. You've got me, ask me questions um, or and make sure you go into PT Minder and Shared. There's downloadable guides and some of them include high protein recipes. If you're stuck for ideas, um, there's also guides on 
like macronutrients. So which foods sit under which category? Um, what else is there? And just some general information about fat loss. So have a look at those and let me know if you have any questions. I've got my podcast channel, which this recording will probably go on as well. Um, so Fit AF with Angie Fraser, it should be on, it is on Spotify. It is on Apple. I don't know where else it is, but I share the link every now and then. Um, let me know. There's a few interesting um, topics and some not so great, but that's the way it goes. Um, but most people say they get some in, in, interesting information or reminders off there. So it's a good res, resource. Um, and nutrition coaching. Look, um, number one frustration of people, which is why I became a nutritionist as well, is that they'll bust their guts with exercise and workouts. And they are a really important component of your goals and very, very important for building muscle. But if the goal is fat loss, they're not the main driver of fat loss. You need to do hours and hours and hours, which would then limit the amount of time that you're actually eating. So that's, you know, people, I, I saw someone the other day talking about how they used to train four hours a day to look the way they did. And it was a bloke and he looked amazing, but he had to, all he did was eat train and sleep and I mean we're all looking at people like these online and going oh you know I want to be like that but we can only really afford to exercise for half an hour an hour a day it's just not enough to get those kind of results and also most of the time you end up busting yourself anyway so you do need to look at your nutrition if you need help with that I'm available um, we've got our online coaching, which sits in really well with what you're doing and members get discounted accountability there with me because I don't like to see people get stuck and frustrated um, when there's some pretty simple solutions to it. So um, did anyone have any questions? You've all been fairly quiet. You might just be listening to me while you're doing your thing at home did anybody have any questions on anything that I've said um did anything resonate um it's a pretty I realize I always overshoot what I want to say in these so oxygen debt it's quite scientific Emily what it means is that you keep your your metabolic rate goes up so high that it keeps burning calories after so that the the best way the most layman way that I can describe that is that you've worked out so hard and I'm I'm drawing a little line with my fingertip here you've worked out so hard that your oxygen consumption has increased so much that it takes up to 24 hours to come down which means that you're burning more at rest after the metabolic session than if you'd just done an aerobic intensity level session. So like something on a treadmill. Um, and Amber, good question. Is there a particular time when you should eat protein when training? For our purposes, it doesn't really matter. What I'm most in interested in for people who have just started training and just started looking at their nutrition is their total daily protein intake. So timing in any situation is not the number one priority for protein intake, but you may, if you're a bodybuilder, you may get a better result from having protein closer to after your workout. But for us general people, not really. Total daily protein intake is key. So that's where we go back to looking at um, including prioritizing protein for our main meals. Does that make sense? <clears throat> yeah, beautiful. So, yeah, there's those little details that come up in the fitness world. And sometimes they, um, people fixate on them in, or they highlight them to make things sound a little bit more complicated or magical than they really are that may be in order to sell a product or a plan or they may believe it through um incorrect 
drawing incorrect conclusions about what made a difference to them. So they might carry, and this is really common in fitness, is that people will do something, they'll get a result, but not for the reason they think. Um, so keto diets are a really good example of that. So people will, inverted commas, go keto and then they'll lose weight. But the reason that they lost weight is because they ended up in a calorie deficit because they really heavily restricted the types of foods that they can choose from as part of that diet. So they've limited their food selection and what it was before, it probably included a lot of junk food, for example, or, you know, just excess calories. So they inverted commas go keto. Suddenly they don't have as much choice they end up in a calorie deficit and they lose weight. So they believe that keto is the reason that they lost weight. It's the same with exercise programs. I would always question if someone says, oh, I lost weight doing X, Y, Z, ask them how long, how much time did you spend doing that training every day, every week? And the answer will more often than not be more than an hour a day. It might be twice daily training sessions. So they'll believe that it was the particular method that they were using that got the result. But in actual fact, it was the amount of time that they spent doing it. So anyone spending a lot of time doing something is going to spend less time sitting on their bum less time eating junk food, less time socialising, that kind of thing. Correlation causation. Anyone else? I might wrap it up there then, guys. Oh, I nearly spoke for an hour again. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> I'll simplify it down one of these days. I really will. I probably just need to speak more frequently and keep it very, very simple because I don't want to um, confuse or scare anyone. It sounds complicated. I can break it down for you if you need help. More than happy to do that. Love it. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, guys.